You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. Adam, who's your favorite Disney character? Um, Sebastian the Crab. Oh. He's sort of the, like, guide, the spiritual guide to Ariel. I don't even know what I'm saying. Kiss the girl, man. (laughs) Under the sea. I'm with you. He's classic. Maybe Simba. Maybe Simba? Yeah. Okay. Kind of the Hamlet of the Disney world. stole mine. Oh, David, you're fa- we're also here with David Roark. David, <laughs> David, your favorite is Simba? Yeah, Simba. Love Simba. Why Simba? Hamlet. Did it hit I, you at I, the right age? I don't know that I have a meaningful answer except for that my daughter loves the Lion King. Yeah, dude. Loves Simba. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, good. you know, it resonates. Also in the room with us today is Kent Rabelais. Kent, Hello? same question. Who's your favorite Disney character? I'm going with Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Which we'll talk about more later. Did you see? Yeah. You saw the new one then? I did. Okay, well, I'm looking well, forward to talking with you about That's that. That's a great character. So Kent is joining with us. I didn't know we were doing live us. action. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's would fine. you like Whatever, to change dude. your answer? We've already <laughs> established that it's all things Disney. <laughs> You're like some obscure property that Disney <laughs> distributed in 1964. Uh, actually, little known fact. <laughs> Uh, well, on this episode, we're going to explore the magical world of Disney, from Disney World, Disneyland, to some of the more notable Disney movies and some other things all having to do Disney today, Disney all day long. So let's get right to it. Maybe the genie. <laughs> Why are we concerned about Disney? Why do an episode on Disney? David Rourke, you're our producer. Help me out here, man. Why are we doing this? start with me, man. Well, um, I'd like to start with you. I think this has come to the surface more for me as a parent of I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and you know they watch movies. Yeah. Not, not too often. Their screen time is limited, to be clear. But yeah, I only, let w- watch my, I only let my kids watch the middle of a movie. You know, uh, that way they limit screen time. That's and, great. And are that's always really confused. helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think I've thought about it a lot more deeply because of that. Um, just thinking about how widespread Disney is in our culture. Yeah. Movies, Disneyland, Disney World, it's everywhere. And, um, and so as we've talked about many times on this podcast before, no sort of story or cultural artifact is... Uh, just kind of neutral. It's it, it's pushing us towards some direction, right? Some, yeah. Some bigger story, some way of thinking about the world. And so it just made a lot of sense to me to like, hey, this is one of the biggest things in our culture. We should do an episode and talk about like, what is Disney trying to do? What is it yeah. getting at? What's the discipleship of Disney, if you will? Yeah, Disney kind of has uh, grown to the point where it's beyond its own company name, right? It's almost like a, a cultural meme, where something is Disneyfied. I don't know if that's a word, but you, you kind of get the idea. Its influence is so broad. It goes beyond just what a normal company that produces children's films or owns a whole bunch of other commodities might do. Adam, has Disney been very influential in your life? I've, I actually was thinking about that because I, like David, now when I think about it, I'm, I'm generally thinking about it in terms of my kids, but then I, so I, I'm thinking, how's this shaping them? What stories are they telling? And those yeah. kind of, but then I thought to myself and going, well, I grew up with this. I grew up watching all the Disney movies. I, you know, like, and so I went to Disneyland in California a lot. It's not as good as Disney World. I get it. Right. Nobody okay. right in. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> but but going to those things and just thinking, like, how was I shaped? And so honestly, I was sort of asking myself that question right before you asked. Um, and I don't really. I'm sure it did. I'm not sure I know the answer. But, but not like overt, explicit ways that you're aware of right now. Not think? not not. I 
you know, when I think back to my childhood and I think about that sort of I, what I would call the golden age, maybe everybody thinks as their their you know, childhood, their childhood, but like yeah. that there was a particularly good run, I would say, of animated films in um, in uh, uh, like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Lion King, everything before Pocahontas. Beauty and, Beauty and the Beast was was a great. I think it was like one of the only animated films to be nominated for Best Picture or something like that. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, and so when right. I when I think of those, I'm going, man, th- those did have an impact on me. I certainly saw them and you know knew all the songs and knew you know sub- watched the films a million times and all those things. So yeah. certainly I didn't escape um, the messaging. You know, yeah. Kent, you're, there's a reason you're on this podcast yeah. with us. How's Disney been influential to you? Or what is your history with Disney? Yeah, it was me. It was more of the older films. It's probably why I say Mary Poppins and the original. So Snow White and Seven Dwarfs and Mary Cinderella. Poppins and Cinderella. Those and were great too. Kind yes. of uh, growing up on those and then flash forward to high school being at Disney World and for the first time seeing some of the animators work you could go behind the scenes and yes. watch them work and it, I just realized I made the connection that we could imagine the future that we wanted and if you're part of Disney you could actually create that you could be part of creating yeah. that future so if we could tell stories that kind of paint this picture of what we want the world to be like um, then we we could change the world and working at Disney or being in filmmaking or, or TV, uh, you could be a part of that process. Mm. So those are the two kind of big. Yeah, it kind of sparked some creativity for you in seeing the way creativity was used to to paint the future. Yes. I love that. And that kind of all starts with the man who it's named after, Walt Disney. And so we get a little bit of a history before we jump into the rest of the episode. We're going to cut to a little uh, oral history of Disney from one of our friends and staff members, Jared Musgrove. Even as a boy growing up in Marceline, Missouri in the early 1900s, Walt Disney knew what he liked and had the kind of hunger and perennial dissatisfaction that benefits the most impactful artists and entrepreneurs. Walt always wanted to plus it, and this would be a lifelong creative pursuit. So it was in the early 1920s that Walt moved to California to pursue artistic freedom and financial stability. This freedom allowed him to draw and pioneer new techniques in animation once seen only as a disposable medium for slapstick before a feature film. Walt was about to catapult cartoons into the mainstream consciousness of America. And with some hard work and a little bit of the magic that would become a company signature, Mickey Mouse debuted in 1928's Steamboat Willie, and with him, a multimedia empire that stretches to this day. But Walt wasn't satisfied with just comedic cartoons. He realized that the form of animation was a way to plus whatever came to his imagination. Released from the burden of budgets or special effects limitations, he set out to show and tell, and plus, the stories that captured his imagination as a boy. And so he took the unprecedented step of animating a feature-length film cartoon based on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The result earned him a special Academy Award in 1937 and an instant place among Hollywood's elite. What followed were a series of features that would be known as the Big Five. Snow White led to Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. An unprecedented streak of artistic creativity and financial success. Then came a war. And Walt and his creations were drafted. Donald Duck starred in a series of animated shorts to entertain soldiers and civilians alike. But the creative demands led to more pedestrian and disposable fluff features such as Make My Music and Fun and Fancy Free. And Walt was ready to get back to plus again. So following the war, 
he got the financially struggling studio back to its roots and produced 1950's Cinderella. The financial success of this rags-to-riches tale would mirror the company's own rebirth and provide the finances for one of Walt's greatest dreams to take root in an old orange grove in Anaheim, California. Disneyland opened to the public in 1955 and set a standard for any theme park that followed. Further feature films, both live action and animated throughout the 1950s and 60s, fueled the company until a shocking halt happened December 1966. Walt Disney had died, and the company immediately lost its way. Walt's older brother Roy, long the number cruncher that kept Walt's creativity on track, came out of retirement to realize one of Walt's final dream, a redo of sorts of Disneyland. But this theme park would open in 1971 with the full name Walt Disney World, a clear tribute to the man who created a mouse and a medium of family entertainment. But a dark age would soon fall on the company without Walt at the helm. The studio was perennially last in the line of moneymakers throughout the 1970s and early 80s. That was until a new CEO came to make the creative changes that would once again make the Disney brand a household demand. This Disney renaissance began with the feature, The Little Mermaid, and continued on through box office bohemians like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, culminating in 1999's Tarzan. And new friends would soon join Mickey and the gang. As in 2006, the company required the new kid on the animation block, Pixar. And soon after that, the Walt Disney Company became home of Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm, bringing to the Mouse House some of the biggest intellectual property on the planet. This would continue to fuel rides and attractions for the company's kingdom of a dozen worldwide theme parks, a cruise line, even a vacation club, and not to mention plenty of plush merchandise. And now? Coming in late 2019 will be Disney Plus, an on-demand streaming service and collection of 90 years worth of creative content set to rival even Netflix or Hulu. Not bad. Seems with Disney Plus, the company has come full circle with its founder's vision of constant innovation in family entertainment, plussing it year after year, just like Walt always wanted. Gentlemen, we've talked a little bit about how your personal influence uh, from Disney, but understanding some of what Jared just shared, the history of Disney, is there anything to you fascinating about this man, Walt Disney, or what he's created or what it has been that's brought it up to where it is today, the history of this company? I think for me, it's, it goes back to this idea of he just had this vision that's for it. him, this this world, like here's the ideal world for him, and he saw that stories could really lead to the creation of that world that uh, someone who's an engineer could watch this movie and then go and think, man, how could I engineer um, something mechanically to help bring this world to life? Or yeah. how could I uh, be an architect and, and make a building come to life? So it's all these different fields and different industries were inspired. And he just saw that really clearly. And then that, of course, even led towards the end in Disney World, his plans for Disneyland and um, various cities that he imagined in his head about what the world could be like. So I just I find that fascinating that he had such a clear vision That's, and was able to execute on it. That You know, like any being drawn to any sort of story or, uh, I don't know, biography of any almost singular genius, you know, that's what I think. Like, the fact that we're even having this discussion is because this guy named Walt Disney was such a genius and was able not to just have this incredible vision that spanned all different kind of disciplines and everything else, but that 
then he had the ambition or wherewithal or drive or whatever to actually accomplish it, to make it a reality. And when you think about that, it's it's astounding to be honest with you that there's a Disney World that there's the all these properties you know the, these um, uh, uh, movies and and yeah. the, the innovation that took place in animation and animatronics and architect and all the things that he did uh, it's really quite incredible right yeah, he really epitomized that idea of like art and commerce not having to be separate things right. it's like you can create something that's beautiful and artistic but it also can make money and yeah feed families and all those things. Yeah, it seems a little more altruistic than just a company is trying to get money in order to get your kids to watch something, right? right? Disney, at least, has kind of engineered this, like, you'll love to work for Disney. You'll love to witness what they've created. Your kids will love to watch it. You'll love to visit their theme parks. And it seems like the undergirding factor there is joy, creativity, things like that that we would admire, whereas a lot of companies, you would say, yeah, but underneath that is uh, that thin veneer is this ugly world of just uh, money grabs, which I'm not saying Disney's not trying to make money, sure. but it sure seems like they've created a picture where it's like, hey, for the sake of the kids, for the right. for the sake of creativity. So let's talk a little bit about those positives. And before we talk about it in here, David had the chance to sit down with some of our friends here at the Village Church who really love Disney that will tell you a little bit about what they love about it. Hey, this is David Roark. I'm here with Eric and Andrea Bowman, longtime members of the Village Church. And, uh, we're not sure what to call it, but they're big fans of Disney. We'll say that. Yes. Uh, my name is Eric Bowman. I'm a freelance art director. And I love Disney. And I love Disney. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Andrea Bowman, and I work at The Village, um, and I love Disney. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Obviously, we've already established that you guys like Disney. Talk about that. Um, what is your family's experience? What else connection with Disney, whether we're talking about theme parks, movies, the whole shebang? Um, well, I grew up on the Disney Channel and we had, it was like back in the day where it was like the old stuff and the new stuff. So I watched like all the old Mickey episodes and um, like Walt doing the, uh, movies and all of that, which was really fun. And the original Mickey Mouse Club, which was so fun. Um, so I just grew up loving that and thinking that that was like real life, even though it's from the 50s. Um, and yeah, so I went to Disney World when I was eight and loved it. Um, but we just got to go because a friend took us, which was awesome. Um, and then we didn't go back until we got married as adults and ever since then we've kind of let it creep back into our lives to where now it's like a staple in everything <laughs> most of our trips so you're you're there at least once a year more than once a year right talk yeah. about that a little bit yeah um we started going yearly when our daughter Evie was born. She's 8 now and um we just randomly took her when she was a baby because we had credit card points and just needed to go somewhere. And we didn't think we would like it cuz she was a baby and we were like what she doesn't care, but she did. She loved it. She was only 10 months old and so that kind of got us into just wanting to experience it with her more. And so the next year we saved and saved and saved <coughs> to try to go. And the next year we did the same thing. And then um, 
I learned that you could be a travel agent that specializes in Disney. And so I got into that and um, now we can use that to help fund our trips. So it's kind of become a yearly tradition for us to go. And then sometimes we'll go for like random, just like little weekends or whatever, um, if we can and, um, use discounts and things like that to make it work. So, yeah. yeah. Eric, what's your, what's your sort of personal connection with Disney? Uh, well, I mean, so I, I grew up kind of, uh, idolizing Walt Disney and, you know, Jim Henson and Steven Spielberg, like as filmmakers and artists and, um, so I kind of just always had my eye on Disney and how he, you know, pursued the process and the craft and, um, how he told stories so well and, um, admired him even as an observer of culture. I don't know if I recognize that obviously as a child as much uh, as what I did when I got older, but, um, that's kind of how initially, I guess I got connected to him. And then, uh, like Andrea had mentioned, starting to go back, um, Years later to, you know, when our daughter was born of rewatching some movies and going to the parks, um, it kind of grew into a little bit more mm-hmm. um, than that, I think. Um, you know, because like she mentioned, our family tends to travel a lot. And uh, we, we well, she refers to it as this idea of drawing out the dreamer in people. And so when we're traveling, with some of that mentality that even Disney had, because he traveled a lot. I mean, any story he was trying to tell he would actually go to places to like learn about the culture, learn about the people, everything he could. And so when we're traveling to places, uh, whether it's New York or it's Disney World, we're, we're doing that same thing. And um, hopefully in encouraging our daughter in the process in that to uh, be observing the world around her and seeing those things. Yeah. So that's obviously you're getting into one thing or one way in which Disney has impacted you guys. It's created this... Uh, sort of a uh, process or a uh, example of, you know, how to <laughs> cultivate dreaming um, in your family and with you personally. What other things, when you think about how, um, just how, how how big of a thing it is in your lives, what are other sort of big takeaways for you guys and your family? How has Disney been, uh, you know, a big, important thing for you guys? Um, I think, I mean, we're pretty much at, all the opening nights of every Disney movie. Um, Most of the time we're excited about whatever's coming out or whatever they're releasing. Obviously there's things that are not so great or exciting, but um, our daughter loves that art aspect of it as well and just like seeing the new characters. And um, it's just like the story of all of it is what she loves. And so it's fun to get to experience that with her. Um, And she's seen a lot of the old things that I grew up on, too. And so it's kind of cool. I feel like she's mature for her age just in that side of things with understanding more of the history of it. And, um, like, she thinks she can plan anybody's trip or tell anyone all the trivia answers to any Disney questions. So it's just something fun that we all enjoy to do together. Yeah, I think uh, specifically what Andrea was saying with like the films, we kind of, we tend to dive in. So like early on with our daughter, it was very much like, I didn't want to just throw everything at her as far as media had to offer. It was very much like, is there a good story involved? And is the art done really well? Like, what are they doing with that? So we would literally dive into those conversations 
before going to see something. So buying art books that like we're specifically setting up uh, for a film and things like that and uh, talking about those things. So when she went into the movies, she was like picking up on things. And I think, I don't know, I think one of the big like um, moments that we started to see that kind of take root in her was uh, um, on Inside Out mm-hmm. when she was picking up um, on like <coughs> certain themes like throughout the film. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. Some there's just things about that I think that that we really loved and enjoyed, and we tend to do as a family. Yeah. With those things, but we never really let her watch any of those dorky kid shows that people <clears throat> let their kids watch that are really annoying. <laughs> so we kind of would let like we didn't let her watch things that she was not old enough to watch, obviously, but we would let her watch things that we enjoyed too. So it was kind of a family thing instead of just Barney or whatever random show that we did not want to watch. So there's some positive things about Barney. You can't sure. Just... <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I have to ask you then as big of Disney fanatics as you guys are, like, how do y'all feel about, like, the TV teen Disney shows? Oh, like, those are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> They're <Okay>. so bad. <laughs> I'm glad that Disney people can at it's, least acknowledge. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's with, it's with any, any company. You're going to have hit or miss, right? And so, yeah. I mean, your demographic. I mean, when I was when I was younger and watching some things on the Disney Channel, I mean, I thought it was awesome. You know what I'm saying? And, it, I mean, years later, it, was, <laughs> it definitely didn't hold up, but... Well, but, I was always too cool for all that stuff. <clears throat> oh, well. So. well, let's let's sort of end this conversation here thinking about Disney. Um, whether it's experiences at the theme parks or it's a particular movie, what are ways that like um, you've seen Disney in particular um, tell you know be a reflection or embody um, something true, good, and beautiful? Something that would reflect you know our faith as Christians, or maybe has built up your faith as a Christian. Um, is there anything that you guys can point to there? Um, I think, well, a lot of the movies are light versus dark and, you know, good triumph over evil and all of that. So that's usually a pretty clear indication. And then some movies are clearer than others, like Tangled, where Flynn Rider sacrifices himself. Oh, spoiler alert. Flynn sacrifices himself for Rapunzel, and then he actually dies but comes back to life at the end of the movie. Like, those have always been good conversations to have with Evie, and um, I feel like having those conversations has been really helpful for her, like he said with Inside Out, just to start kind of putting things together um, to where she does see some of those things where she wouldn't normally. Um, So, yeah, there's always that side that is pretty clear in most of the movies I think yeah I think um I mean with you know Disney like we were just kind of discussing before the podcast started was uh it's it's not necessarily I mean they're not a Christian company and so we don't walk into any other things assuming or placing that on them immediately but in their definitely within their storytelling and the vast catalog that they have like Andrew was saying there's many uh, moments of redemption and self-sacrifice that you can see and uh, just kind of point to um, throughout it. But What about Coco? What about that movie? <laughs> I'm not going to let yeah. you get out of here without talking about yeah. Coco. That's uh, had a, a big, a, a really positive impact on you and your family, right? Yeah, Coco, Coco had a huge impact on me. Um, 
in particular, I think the time that it just landed in certain things within culture. Um, that, so my, my mother is Hispanic and my dad's white. And so I grew up in a mixed household. And so to always trying to explain what that was like growing up uh, to Andrea, it was like, this is what, like seeing that on screen, I was like, yeah, even I guess with the grandmother, um, I know a little bit all over the place, but with the grandmother, uh, just how she would like, I mean, <laughs> like completely destroy you, but then love you all at the same time in the same moment, like with the same sentence. And I was just like, that's exactly what it was like growing up uh, with my family. And um, I don't know. So seeing that representation on screen, seeing a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, um, your family wants you to be a certain way, but you weren't necessarily lining up. Like I experienced a lot of that stuff. And I, I know that it, it has a lot of, it can be looked at as a negative thing of like, uh, you know, a rebellious spirit being a negative thing within people. But at the same time, I do think that, that uh, you know, the Lord gifts us in unique ways. And, um, you know, uh, what's uh, Vernal says, like it's significant, just not ultimate. You mm -hmm. know, this idea that like we, we were crafted in a unique way. We do have significant, uh, we do have significance in the Lord's eyes. And, um, you know, we're, we're not always going to line up with everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, for this, uh, you know, Miguel was, uh, he's an artist. Miguel's a character in the story. Um, he, he's an artist. He wants to be a musician so badly to tell people's stories and to tell crafts, and that's just not what his upbringing is. And so for somebody that's passionate, wants to pursue that, and um, I, I don't know, there was just so many levels, I think, that that movie just kind of touched at all the right heartstrings in me and... Yeah. Yeah. Plus for Evie, I mean, she is one fourth Hispanic. For her to actually see like more of her culture, because we don't really present it well. Her grandma tries to, but mm -hmm. um, just for her to kind of see that side and learn some things about it that I can't teach her, because yeah, I'm definitely. I mean that. Yeah, that again. That film in particular, it just kind of. It was a lot of stuff like we even within the Hispanic culture that. Um, for some reason, I just didn't put at the forefront of our family much. And uh, when that film came out, it just kind of ignited that back in me. And uh, uh, kind of learning a little bit more about our history as a family and, um, yeah, ways that we can learn from from that side of the family and the culture and uh, try and get that in front of us a little bit more. It was, it's, it was a great thing. Awesome. As a fun end note, if someone's listening and they're going to visit Disney World, in one sentence, each of you, what's the one place or thing they can't miss at Disney World? Oh, my gosh. One thing that they can't miss. <clears throat> um, I would say Magic Kingdom because it is the epitome of Disney. And the fireworks are called Happily Ever After. And I dare you to go and not cry because it's incredible. I cry every time. I don't know why. I just can't. <laughs> you got anything here? Man, uh, maybe just an encouragement for people. So there is a lot to see and a lot to do at Disney. I think my encouragement to families traveling would be to, like, take your time. There's no reason to try and do it all because you can't in one trip, right? Uh, take your time. Have fun with your family. Be in the moment. Enjoy the adventure that's happening in front of you with your kids. And... Uh, have fun in that.
we just heard from the Bowmans, so uh, let's talk about it a little bit before we get into some of the negatives or some of the other aspects of this. Let's get into some of the great things about Disney. What are we? What can we Christians? What can we learn from Disney? We've talked so much about the creativity, about the innovation, and certainly that is not far removed from uh, what the Lord has done as our great Creator. What He's put instilled in us as people who create art or think innovatively about how to solve problems. But what do we as Christians, what do we learn from the from Walt Disney, from Disney as a corporation? What do you think? I think about imagination, creativity, those yeah. things. I mean, Disney epitomizes this so well. And um, as Christians in particular, as people who are also created in the image of God, who are made to be creative and who are artists, I think that Disney sets a great standard for us in terms of craft. It's like we should be looking to Disney, maybe not in terms of content in like some of the stories that they would tell, but like this is how you tell a great story. So I think of it, you know, maybe that's sort of my bent in leading the communications team and the kind of work that I do, but I think of Disney as a great example of like this is the bar when it mm-hmm. comes to great storytelling and, and creativity and, and using the imagination. That's good. Yeah, I think, you know, there's um, an article I brought um, just because I thought it was amazing by Jennifer Trafton, uh, and it was on The Rabbit Room. Um, so you can visit therabbitroom.com to, to find it. But she just did a beautiful job, and there were several things I, I highlighted. I wanted to read a few of them, but one of them, this just paragraph, she's talking about Mary Poppins' returns in the article. Uh, but she wrote, Freedom can be remembered but not seized or created or even chosen. It is something granted to us. Someone else has to loosen the chains and throw open the door, a nanny, a time lord, a superhero, a droid, an angel, a messiah. Mm. I, I thought, I mean, there, there's a lot of senses like that in, in this article that are so good. But I think in the best stories that Disney tells, um, you see that freedom has to be it, – it's from someone else. It's not from you. And obviously that's a distinct part of Christianity mm. is yeah. that we are chosen. We are rescued. It's not us that are able to – go from death to life because we're dead. And so, um, again, now obviously it's important to say that there's a lot of assumptions about the Christian faith I'm bringing to that discussion that someone who's not a Christian is not going to bring necessarily, but I do think it's embedded in a lot of their great stories. Yeah, I think one of the aspects of Disney's current storytelling and for the last century, their storytelling reminds me of of Paul on Mars Hill thinking about modern mythology and Disney is our storyteller of our generation that, Mm -hmm. that brings both old stories Nursery, um, nursery stories, nursery rhymes. What am I trying to think of? Those kind of stories yeah. to life and lets you see them and changes them and and, and produces um, a, a little bit nuanced plot, but puts them out there that now we have this uh, kind of shared stories that yeah. we can all reference to. But they mm-hmm. they all point to anything redeemable in them, anything true in them helps mm-hmm. us point to Christ. Where somebody would see this heroic form or this servant leader. And we would say, yeah, that reminds us of an actual God, an actual hero that we can point to, which is very similar to what Paul's able to do on Mars Hill to say, I've looked around your culture. I've seen what you guys follow, what you guys know. Let me tell you about what you don't know, but it all points towards. It reminds me of on fairy stories. I've referenced it by Tolkien. I've referenced it a few times, but it does. It's like the things, the big themes or some of the big themes in Disney are all things you actually kind of like want to be true. It right. points to like a deeper longing of your heart, good triumph, triumphing over evil, love triumphing over um, hate. hate, you know, uh, talking animals, otherworldly beings, all the things, adventure, all these kind of things. And it's like, man, 
the reality is all those things are true in the gospel. You know what I mean? Um, and so, uh, uh, I don't know about the talking animals part, but you know what I mean? I actually, I think, <laughs> I think Tolkien references that specifically on, on fairy stories, but, and he makes a connection that's eluding me right now. But I, I do think when I think about Disney in the, in those most redeemable parts, it really does point to something and go, man, all those things that you love about those stories, they're actually in that you think are just fantastical. They're actually real. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what's really beautiful. Let's talk about that for a minute. What are aspects of Christian uh, truth that you see in Disney stories? What are some truths about the kingdom of God that you think Disney has illustrated and made made very common for us to understand? You pointed love uh, conquering hate, mm-hmm. but maybe even more specific. Are there Disney movies you can point to in your head? You go, man, this story of redemption in there is the truth of the gospel. Maybe even before thinking about a story, because I can think of a lot of those. It's I. I first wanted to even say just this idea of uh, enchantment. Um, mm. We've talked about that before on the podcast, but um, it's just like we think about, uh, what is it, A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, the idea that we're living in a disenchanted world. I think that one of the big things that we can champion with Disney and get behind is that it imagines a world that is enchanted, that there is this, Kent was saying this earlier, that there's this other force there's this divine thing it may not always call it that you know in the actual disney stories but it it believes in such a thing that there's a power bigger than ourselves so i think that that's something that we can connect to well as christians as a good thing because we need more of that and that's sort of what we're supposed to be doing in the world is is re-enchanting the world and helping people imagine it as being bigger than ourselves because it's really sad (laughs) if it just terminates on ourselves i think that's good what else do you guys think? What What is redeemable from the story of Disney that points to, like David said, the reality of a God the um, in the enchantment? Or uh, what are the the natural elements of, of Disney's storytelling and stories they've told that lead us to the truth of the gospel? I mean, I think part of it is you just keep circling the same thesis, yeah. which is, I mean, it's just imagination, right? Like I don't, again, you know, going back to the Mary Poppins Returns film, it's the idea that um, even as adults, you know, these are the the bank's children, they still need Mary Poppins. They need this as adults. They need her as children. They need her as adults. And they need the, the, the sort of whimsical world, you know, that David's talking about to uh, to reignite their life after in the midst of suffering too you know that mm-hmm. movie deals a lot with suffering um, with him having lost the husband having lost his wife and so um, again it just kind of keeps playing that over and over and I think the most profound things in life are that simple I mean that's what they're doing they've just this real simple cultural imagination yeah. that uh, is there and at, and at their worst which we'll get into later it becomes that whimsy almost becomes cuteness yeah. and that's where we don't if it's if it's cute, it's not good. Mm-hmm. And they've certainly made those movies too. Yeah. And it just but their best ones to me um, are able to bring in the whimsy in a way that deals with the reality of suffering in mm. our world. And yeah. again, to, as an example, I would just Mary Poppins Returns. They I think that, that really is well. so common and often it, you don't see this often, I guess, in or you wouldn't think of it often in kids' films, but it's very common in a Disney film to have very real tragedy right. that's very dark. Yes. Whether it's just the beginning of Nemo where his mom is, oh, is yes. uh, disappears into the mouth of a, a vicious 
Barracuda or something, yep. or you think of uh, the Lion movie King. Up. Isn't Up uh, a dis- oh, goodness. The, the beginning of Up is weepy. Goodness. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then it goes into a very lighthearted, mm-hmm. it's almost like a they want to see somebody um, uh, go to a highest height, but before that they have to show you what is the lowest low. That's right. Uh, like a lot so- of times it's the parents and they're trying to find, because that becomes a plot point, and they're trying to find a way to take them out of the plot, and yes. it's usually something really tragic with parents. I yes. feel like they're, like they're, not, they're no longer present. So. Yeah, and I want to talk more about that when we get to some of the the things that I have a hard time with with common stories of mm-hmm. Disney. But before we do that, some of the ways that I think these stories do echo the gospel are exactly what you're pointing to. It's the darkness. You, it's almost like in order to understand Easter, I really feel like mm-hmm. you have to understand Good Friday, right? If all you do is celebrate Easter and all you do is celebrate the resurrection, but you haven't understood the the cross of Christ, the suffering of right. Christ, then what is the brightness of Easter? It's like saying like we have all the food we can eat, but never feeling hungry, yeah. that you have to experience the hunger to truly understand the gift that you've been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I feel like most Disney stories are trying to tell that story arc Mm. in order to understand the redemption of the hero or what they have to overcome. You have to start with them low. That's why so many stories, it's like a hero of a thousand faces. So many stories start with an orphan because Mm. they already have something to overcome, whether it's Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker, Superman, Spider-Man, you put them at the bottom saying like they have, they have a disadvantage and yet they will become our hero Mm. and similar, uh, but different. The reality is that in Jesus Christ, we have a man who willingly took on disadvantage, took on vulnerability and then suffered innocently in order to overcome that which is dark as sin and death and the devil. So transitioning there from the good of Disney, and there is so much redeemable, so much that is true that we can point to that where there's an enchantment, we would say, well, while there is not a magic in the sense of people casting spells, there absolutely is power and miraculous power beyond the reality that you see with your everyday eyes. Mm -hmm. And we would point to things that are true that aren't just fairy tales for children. These are real realities we exist in every day. We've, we've talked about how Disney might form and shape us in that positive way. Let's, let's also talk about some of the concerns. Is there a point in which Disney, whether we're talking about Disney World, Disneyland, Disney movies, all their properties, is there a point where this becomes an unhealthy means of escape into a, a escape from the real world? Is it escapism? I'll start with an answer <laughs> on this one. <laughs> I, I do think there's a version of escapism that exists not just because of Disney, but in any realm of life. And and certainly theologically, this exists in the church where we talk about the second coming of Christ and don't think about the reality where we are. We just think about, won't it be great when we're not here anymore without recognizing the mission the Lord's left us on? But any form of fantasy, any form of fairy tale for somebody, even though it's amoral to a degree, can serve a sinful uh, purpose of, I just don't want to think about what's really going on. I want to spend my my money or my time on things that are not real and in the end are more inconsequential than other things we might do. So we can take something that's innocent fun and turn it into a way to avoid the reality of the mission we're called to, the reality of the hard things in life. Uh, but there is something to say, like I, it, God is not against fun. God is certainly not against creativity. So we can experience those things with great joy, but not turn them into obsessions that lead to escapism. It seems too that like depending on the Disney property, some lend themselves more to sort of a means of escape yeah. versus others have 
actual truth, goodness, and beauty embodied in them. Like, I think about Disney TV. A lot of Disney TV is is crap, if I'm being honest. Like, it, it, I've watched it enough now with, like, niece and nephew. My kids watch some of the shows. I'm not going to say that all of it's that way, but especially some of the, like, the older kids shows that are, like, like uh, child actors and things like that. Yeah. Like, it, it, there's just the the entertainment value is not very high on those shows, and I don't know that there's a lot of substance in those shows. So I do think that there's a point in which some of Disney's properties really don't have a lot to offer us in terms of you know being fruitful. But it also just depends, I think, on the motivation and the responsibility for the Christian to ask themselves, like, is this thing that I am going to watch or listen to or consume, is it going to point me and my family more toward Christ or away from Christ? Is it going to be, yeah. bene- is it going to be beneficial, to use you know, sort of the, the words from Paul? So I, to me, a lot of it has to do with motivation, although maybe there are some Disney properties that are easier to say no to, maybe, because it's obvious. I, yeah. I don't know. You know, sometimes I think things can just become too thin. We talked about cuteness earlier. That's uh, what I was thinking. And, and can just be, um, it, there's just, it, when times get really hard, when suffering is present, it's not going to be enough for you just to be uh, thinking of this cute story or this, um, you know, kind of romp in an adventure land that you, um, you know, had a good time at, or there's just, um, you know, a favorite character that you now got the toy and, you know, have on your shelf. Like there's just something that has to be deeper. And so at its worst, it can definitely fall prey into the thinness and cuteness. And um, there's just not a depth that's going to be present in in the stories that is going to sustain. Yeah, when I think of like pure escapism, I don't know that I necessarily associate it with Disney, although there might be a property there. But I like, you know, I think video games, I think stuff like that, where it's like binging on Netflix for hours and these kind of things, where it's just like, I'm going to avoid my life and mm. this kind of deal. Um, you know, and maybe that's my own category mistake. And there might be franchise. I know people like with Harry Potter and some of these like bigger series and franchises Star can Wars. start, can yeah. just like lose their lose their minds and it's Star Trek, all these kind of things. And so um, I get that that's the case. But actually, when I think of the darker side of Disney, I'm thinking of all these like, I'm thinking more of their live act, their live stuff, mm-hmm. uh, their their um, like little pop star right. stuff, you know, yeah. like where Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and all these people come from, you know right. what I mean? And it's like some of them are able to escape whatever that sort of th- very thin yeah. thing was beforehand, but a lot of them aren't. And and you see like what they have to offer. It's Sort of like using kids as these little idols, you know? Uh, or to sell a product. That's even the language. That's what they call them. Right. Teen idols, pop idols, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And and, and it's just, it is. It's super thin. The entertainment value is actually pretty poor. And yeah. you're sort of like, this is what life's supposed to be about. I think that's maybe, in my mind, when I think of what's dangerous about it, that's generally what I'm thinking about are these very thin entertainment driven yeah. nothings and it's it's it is yeah. a company and yeah. there is a there's a version of that where they are trying to give you something they think you want in order to spend money on what they're peddling yeah and i get that too it's not all for your benefit all the time especially maybe some of those other shows but there's also to me uh, some significant aspects of the overall narrative or goal of the company and what they communicate that are concerns for the christian i think we should be careful walking through does anybody i i certainly have a list of those but what are those for you guys 
I think one of the biggest for me, and there's sort of a fine line here, um, but is this, you see this a lot more recently with Disney. Because one thing to mention about Disney, too, that even though that Walt Disney had a singular vision, uh, the stories of Disney over time have sort of reflected the cultural... Uh, conversation of the time. So we see that right now with a lot of these Disney princess movies. Like uh, there was a recognition that maybe the sort of stories we were telling about the woman needing a man to sort of save her. Uh, Disney's recognized that that story is maybe not all that helpful and you're kind yeah. of seeing a change. So that, that's helpful to think about with Disney that they, they've changed depending on where the culture is on particular social issues. Big time. Even though there is a singular vision at the same time, I think. Yeah. But I, one of the things that I've seen in more recent ones is this idea of independence. Um, and as Christians, we are people who are, we firmly believe in dependence, uh, first and foremost on the, the Lord, um, because we're dependent to him. He's the creator. We're his creation. And then there's the dependence on the people of God, you know, others that we can't do this on our own. And then, you know, dependence on our own families and things like that. And, um, I think it just depends on the Disney movie, and there's always a fine line here because independence has some – there's some good things in this. But, like, I, I do worry about the story that, you know, sort of tells of this this person, this child, this character that is uh, – they're somehow uh, being oppressed. They're somehow being mistreated, and what they really need is liberation. What mm-hmm. they really need is freedom from any sort of uh, parents telling them what to do any sort of uh, governing authority that, you know, and again, if that governing authority is a, you know, abusive or unhelpful, that that's where independence, I think, in that storyline could be helpful. But at the same time, are we telling our kids that happiness and joy comes from independence? Um, from authority. And, 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 yeah, from authority. And yeah. I think that that's in there, right? Yeah, big time. And I think that's one of the two things you pointed out. I think, one, if you go back and watch old Disney properties, you watch Peter Pan now and you see this, uh, one, the way they sing about the Red Man in that you could never make that movie today where they're basically a mocking uh, Native American culture. Yes. But really the premise of the movie of this jealousy between Wendy and Tiger Lily over this kind of Peter Pan who's just this adorable, whimsical man who gets to strut about doing what he wants. And it's just not the story they would tell today. But then the story we tell today is about the goofy, moronic man who needs, uh, who who might think that he can come in and rescue the woman, but the woman is fine on her own. Is kind of the, that's the That's the recent story we tell. And there's reasons for those stories. No, it's not universal in every Disney property. The same way, the one that bothers me the most, honestly, is how often the parent is the villain in the story. That it's not, uh, and, and this goes for a lot of kids' stories, that mm-hmm. if you could just get over these these archaic rules that your parents have imposed, Posed on you to stifle your creativity or to lock you away because they don't understand you. If we could just get past your parents, then everything would be wonderful. It seems like such an ironic story for parents to take their kids to go see <laughs> is this idea that if you could just get past your parents, your life would be better. And I get it. Parents are not perfect. There's a lot of bad parenting in this world tons of bad parenting in the world, but that so many narratives, the villain is the person who should be the one who loves you and advocates for you the most. In fact, it's one of the reasons I loved uh, this year's um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is that Miles Morales had parents who loved him. And at the end of the movie, even though he's wearing a Spider-Man costume, you see him grow in love and appreciation for his parents. As part of the story, it can be done. And yet so many Disney narratives, whether it's uh, Coco or Elsa or whoever you want to point to in the last couple of years, it's like, man, the parents really don't get them. Oh, the parents really don't understand. Oh, the parents are bad. Or even, uh, I know it's not a Disney property, but one that came out this last year 
uh, Smallfoot, where the whole premise of the movie is that your parents have these laws written in stone, which are archaic and moronic, and if you could just get past them, everyone would 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 flourish. But because they're following these old rules, and it's like, well, this is a shot straight at my belief system, yeah. that there are things older than me that will know better than me the way I should live. And it's not that you have to stifle creativity to do that. that our God has established creativity, has is the originator of our imaginations. And so I would hate for any kid to grow up in a world who thinks, Authority is my adversary. Independence and freedom from authority is my victory. When I hope what they grow up in is when I become a parent, I want to be the loving, encouraging parent, but at the same time have rules that establish a morality. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how it differs from any other, what is it, buildings Roman or buildings Roman or whatever it is, the coming of age story. Mm. Like I think of, do we sit here about catcher in the rye and be like, well, it's fighting for independence. This kid basically comes away from home. He's going to parties, you know, and this is written in the sixties. You know what I'm saying? Are we spinning our top over that? Like our kids read it in school. You know what I'm saying? So like, I I do look at it and I go like, there are some dangerous things happening there. I think small foot, dude, I think actually, some of the things I'm most offended by is the heavy handedness. Now, again, that's not a, that's not a, it's like bad art. I'm like, come on, dude, that's so obvious. You want to do a better job of like masking your message a little bit. You know, I know that sounds like a little snobbish or something, but again, that's not a Disney property, but I actually think one of the most dangerous pieces is the commercialization of everything. I think maybe that might be the worst. That's the fakeness, the inauthenticity, the fact that joy can be bought. Hey, buy this ticket, come to this place and get you'll the experience toys. joy, get the, get the toy. We're going to yeah. milk you for all your worth. I think some of that might be the most dangerous part. Everybody can be happy. Yeah. Everybody can be a star. Everybody can, and, and all those kind of things. And some of that maybe points back to some of those properties I was talking about earlier, the more teeny poppy things or whatever. But, but like, I want to talk about that for a second because that is such a big part of the oh, Disney huge, narrative man. is that anybody can do anything. And yeah. the problem with that is it's just not true. It's not true. There are... It is true that somebody does not have to start from something in order to become something. Sure. That is true. But to tell a lie that like whatever you want to do, you'll be able to do ends up with our you know first episodes of American Idol where you see these people have always been told they can be a world-class singer. Yeah. And then they find out, no, when it when it's judged objectively, you're just not as good as somebody else's yeah. at what you dream about doing. Yeah. And yeah. that is a hard and dangerous lie to peddle, yeah. right? Yep. I think some of the commercialism, though, especially – in talking about Christians who are navigating Disney, a lot of that falls on the parent. Because For sure. I think um, not, don't let the end goal of a Disney movie be to go buy the products. Not to say that you can't buy the products, but you have an opportunity because you have control. You're the one with your kid doesn't make money, right? Yeah. So you're the one who could feed that or push back against that. And I think it's a lot more fun and exciting to watch a Disney movie and then to let them go spin their wheels getting something else in the house and imagining that they're those characters or things like that and thinking about that world in a different way versus just immediately going to the Disney store and buying a bunch of Disney products. Again, not to say that that's bad in and of itself, but there's a there's just an opportunity there, to, I think, to to redeem that that part of it because it is a concern. Yeah, absolutely. And I do the one major concern we haven't really touched on is Disney does have a worldview that is not explicitly Christian, and that That's comes through in many ways, yeah. both the Christian yeah. sexual ethic, the way we look at masculinity, femininity, and in some ways you can see that more in retrospect. As you look at old Disney properties, you can see like, hey, that is not the way the Bible would believe, nor our culture right. anymore. And now even today, and increasingly so, we'll see Disney properties continue to hold a secular worldview in ways that Christians have to resist and say, that's just not the way we believe the world works or the way humans interact with one another. And that's true to you. 
All right, final thoughts, guys. When it comes to Disney's positive or negative or both impact on culture and what it's discipling us towards, walk us through your final thoughts. What you, what's great, what's redeemable, and then if there's any cautions. Well, I again, going back to the article I mentioned earlier, I, I wanted to especially give this quote um, just because it summed it up well for me. So basically she says, art imagination has the power to temporarily let us romp on the other side of the prison door and audiences of Mary Poppins Returns were given the gift of two hours to rest in pure childlike delight to experience a tiny glimpse of what will someday become our own happy denouement. A beloved long-missed face, a dance in the sky together, and then a return to a familiar home suddenly made new. I remember it's all true. Every impossible thing we imagined. I'm looking to the clouds. I'm waiting, holding my breath. Maranatha, come back soon. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, that's it. When it's at its best, yeah. that's that's what, what it does, what Disney does well. That's great. Yeah, I think like a lot of cultural artifacts, Disney is this sort of double-edged sword. You know, there's so much truth, good, and beauty in it, but then there's also some things that are concerning because it ultimately comes from a different worldview like we talked about. But um, for Christians, like I, I think it's a I would not discourage Christians away from, you know, interacting with Disney, depending on what it is, you know, maybe not just any Disney property, but like for me, you know, I know that you mentioned Coco in a more negative way earlier, but for me, Coco has been like one of the greatest joys in our family to like talk about and all the discussions that that movie has led to, particularly like, so my wife is half Mexican and this is a movie about Mexican culture and celebrating Mexican culture and has actually like just led to some really neat conversations with our kids about that and even maybe uh, whereas we didn't embrace that as much uh, figuring out what that means for our family moving forward and uh, the biggest thing in Coco though that I thought was just a great echo of the gospel is this idea of remembering like the whole remembering your past remembering your family and it's like that's one of the greatest themes of scripture right is remembering and that's what God calls his people to do is remember where he's taken us who he is and all those things. So Coco for me, just like, man, I just saw the gospel all over that movie in so many ways. And I know that, you know, it has day of the dead and some things, mm-hmm. the, I guess the stage on which it, it uses to tell that story, people may have some concerns with, but I think that's just, you have to go into it with intentionality and discernment. Don't just watch it, consume yeah. it and move on. You think about it, have discussions ask the question, how does this uh, run contrary to the gospel? How does this reflect the gospel? And yeah. I think that, that if you're doing that regularly, while also may, maybe making some decisions not to see everything or to to watch everything, then I feel like that's a good place sort of for Christians to move. Yeah, I love it, especially in conjunction with what you said earlier about the parental responsibility yep. in consuming anything. Right. I think it was great. Well, as some final thoughts, I think one of the things that we can take away is that Disney does such a good job storytelling that even if it's a story where the narrative I wish would be different, or even if it's a message I don't love, it's so compelling and it's so beautiful. They're so good at imagining and creativity and imagineering. And I know there are believers involved in that to a certain extent as well, but it just reminds me of what the church is capable of and maybe where we don't give avenues for creativity that I wish we could. I know at the Village Church, we have some great creatives on staff. that are given a lot of freedom to run and create. And whether it's short movies telling people stories or whether it's in images we post on social media or in blogs or even things like this podcast, yet I know that's not super common for the kingdom of God in other churches or around the world. And I think Disney is a great example of a company that says, how can we use imagination to accomplish our goals? 
And how can we make imagination one of our goals to help people be more creative? And I want the church to be a leader in that, in the way that corporations have been. So Disney to me is is convicting in thinking about, man, I I may not be that creative, but there are people in our church that are would uh, run with it because I just hand it to them. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Sterrett. We'll see you next time. God bless.